Welcome to the Impact Church podcast. We are a community that doesn't pretend to have all the answers, but aims to have all the hope that you could ever need. We pray that this message is helpful and encourages you no matter what season of life you're in. Enjoy this week's message. We don't despise you for being in Hobart or New Zealand. Those are the ones I know of. Um, we're just a little envious of you. But for those of you who are here, welcome back. Happy New Year. It's wonderful to see your faces. Uh, and if it's your first time visiting us ever or in a while, welcome or welcome back. We're so grateful that you choose to spend uh, some of one of our first weekends of the year um, with us at Impact Church. And we're a church that strives. Look at that, I got Christmas coming out of my pocket. <laughs> my hand went into my pocket and it came out with tinsel. Apparently, Christmas oh. is still going. Um, that wasn't even magic, that was just accidental. <laughs> um, we're a church that strives to be a church. To be known as a church that loves like Jesus. To be a church that in the way that we are following him, people would go, man, we are glad they're in our city. Even if we can't get around the whole someone rising from the dead thing, because if we're real, that's a bit confusing. I'm just grateful those guys are in our city. Because they make the best friends. They make the best employees, employers. We just strive to be the kind of people who follow Jesus in a way that he would be irresistible to those that we encounter. Do we get it right all the time? Nah, but we give it our best shot. And so if you're interested in that or interested in just learning a bit more about that, then, uh, then you're in the right place. And thank you for being with us for a Sunday all-in gathering. We do these every two weeks with, as a base first invitation back. Come on back for another one of these sometime. Um, otherwise, we do gather in homes like Charles shared, which is a great way to get to know one another on a more personal level, which we'd love to chat to you about if you would like to do so. But... To kick us off for the year, I wanted to speak into this idea of, well, first of all, I I don't know how much you feel of 2024 is in your control. Or maybe the question is better put this way, how much of 2024 should you even try to control? There's a few people here who have lived a few more years than me, and so you're looking at me right now going, yeah, don't bother. (laughs) You see, for me, the world feels really kind of scary right now. There's rogue governments and conflicts popping up. We're just off the back of kind of a global first in a little while with a, with a, you know, a worldwide contagion. I'm not even going to say the word. And <laughs> financially, people are sort of more uncertain. There's trillionaire dollar companies in China that build, you know, build whole cities that are going bankrupt right now. And apparently that's linked to our economies. I don't know. Talk to someone smarter about that. <laughs> but the, my point is the world feels kind of crazy right now. And that's, that's just the macro level. Like, I don't even know what's going on in your world right now at the micro level. Like, maybe you lost something or someone last year. Maybe there's something new in your year. Like, you got a promotion last year. Yay! Extra responsibility. I see you, Ash. <laughs> maybe there's someone in your life who, you know, maybe you are planning a family this year. And that's been different to how you expected. Or maybe last year was the departure of someone moving away from Canberra, as people do, who you did life with. For, whatever. Whatever it is, maybe a loved one is walking through something right now that you thought happened to other families, but not your family. But at the macro or the micro, like it just leaves you wondering, man, right at the beginning of the year, right here in January, what, what can I even control this year? I'm sorry, that's kind of a sour thought to start the year on, isn't it? But, but, but there is a, there's a proverb that I think is worth visiting when we kick off a new year in light, in, in, in view of these things and I think I think it can speak to us 
today. And it goes like this. The horse is made ready for the day of battle. But victory rests with the Lord. Now, again, I just want to start the new year off on a slightly interesting note. You are the horse. <laughs> in, this, in, this, in this proverb, in this idea, you are the horse. And it speaks to this amazing reality in, in relation to the Christian faith. And, and, you know, regardless of whether you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've, you've, you know this idea. If you're a Christian, you would describe it as you think God has a plan for your life. You know that God has good for you. That he wants to see you do amazing things for his kingdom. That he's preparing you, whether it be through hard things or good things alike, to do amazing things for his kingdom. And we talk about this idea of God's plan. But even if you're not sure of the idea of God for yourself yet, or you're still wrestling that out, you still wrestle with this idea. There's this, this talk of fate. This talk of this, this fate that I'm destined for. It's this mysterious idea, even if science is your religion. That, that you still have this idea that, man, there's... It's, there's probably something to this. And in this proverb, we see the, the Christian idea that it is an invitation into a divine partnership when you choose to follow Jesus, when you choose to have a relationship with God. Because sometimes we can kind of get this idea that, and, and this is true, like Jesus' grace is sufficient for us regardless of what you've done. So let's start there. Regardless of what you did last year and how unworthy or dirty or not, not welcome you might feel in God's presence at the beginning of this year, you are welcome. Yes. God's grace is sufficient for you. Yes. And no matter what's behind you, he's calling you home with open arms, open arms and love. Not open arms. Arms. Open arms. And love that can cover over anything that can possibly in your past. But... There is also this idea that in choosing to accept that, you're stepping into a divine partnership. Into the idea that he might have something remarkable for you in 2024. Beyond. I'm sure for those who have been following Jesus for some time, you already know what it's like to feel like you're walking in the plan that God has for your life. It brings a peace, an unshakable foundation that once you experience, you don't want to let go. But there's this idea that we are called to be ready for what that is. The horse is made ready for the day of battle. Now, the second part of the verse is the part we like. Victory rests with the Lord. We can always trust God to come through. You look at the scale, and we will today, the scope of the biblical narrative right throughout history to now. And in many of the lives of us, we've seen the, the, the victory. The victory is God's. He will come through for you, as he has always done for his people throughout all of history. The victory rests with the Lord. But, the writer says, there is a preparedness that you are asked to participate in. There is a role you play. There is a divine partnership that you are asked to be a part of. And we see God's role in this as helping us to prepare through this idea of the Holy Spirit, through this idea of like this, this strange idea of the Christian that God lives inside of us. It's very Pixar. But there's this idea that we, and we see it in Acts in the New Testament when the, when the followers of Jesus who first chose to continue in the way that he taught them after he had left, 
They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were empowered to do things that they never would have had the courage to do any other way. And the same invitation is there for us today. That we would step into a partnership with God and His Spirit, other places in the, in the Bible described as His helper, comes into our lives. That we would be made ready for the day of battle. Trusting that ultimately, victory is with Him. Now, that's very nice, waxing poetic. But think about how 2024 is looking for you. Are you ready for the day of battle? You might not even know what that is yet. You might even not have a clue what God's plan is for your life. Fair enough. We'll talk about that. That sounds like a good thing to preach about. How do you know God? But are you ready? If he showed up and said, I've got something for you to do. And do you ultimately trust that no matter what you're walking through, as you face 2024 square in the nose, that the victory rests with him? Well, as I mentioned, this is a tension that's not new. It's a tension that has been there throughout the scope of the entire of the biblical narrative. And we can learn a lot from different characters in the Bible about how to do this. Not always how to do it perfectly. But we can learn from them some of the how-tos and how-not-tos in being prepared. And so I want to start in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, to start to wrestle through this idea. And the book of Joshua, I'm partial to, partially because my name's in it. That's a fun fact. But that's not why I'm preaching from it straight up the first time of the year. I think this particular part of the story of the people of God is a fascinating one for us. You see, we, we just ready? I'm about to give you the whole Old Testament, 15 seconds, strap in. Um, you have God, and He creates, and He places a man and a woman, He places Adam and Eve in the garden, and He says to them, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. You see, he doesn't just put them there and say, pick the fruit and enjoy. He wants them to partner, to be a part of it, to cultivate the garden. And so they start to do this, but they kind of mess it up. And so we end up in this mess. And then God comes again and he says, actually, I'm going to redeem this. And we're going to get back to where we were originally with Adam and Eve. So he chooses out from the many a single family, Abraham. And he says, I will make you a nation. More than the stars in the sky. And we live in the fulfillment of that promise for any who chooses to believe in the God Abraham believed in, is understood through the Bible, becomes part of that promise. But again, Abraham gets into some dodgy business. And so he falls out of it and it messes up a little bit. But God keeps having a way of bringing them back to say, I don't just want to bottle feed you. I want you to partner with me. I want you to participate with me. And so the biblical narrative goes on. And the people of Israel, they end up in Egypt for four generations. Four generations. Not a small amount of time. Four generations. As slaves. And this is God's way of rescuing them from a famine. He brings them into Egypt, but through circumstances, they end up as slaves in Egypt for four generations. Does God give up on them at this point? Well, no, not yet. He's not finished. So he picks out someone from among them and says, I'm going to raise up a leader for you who is going to show you the way to live that I've been calling you to all this time. And to show you that I care for you, I'm going to raise up a leader who in one week is going to partner with me and rescue you from four generations of... Have you thought about that? 
most of us have seen like the musical rendition or the, like the kids animated version, and it's it's kind of you know it's kind of washed a little bit. Have you thought about that? Four generations of being a slave, whipped to move blocks. I mean, they got up to some cool projects. The architecture's still around today, but not exactly ideal. And then in one week, God raises up a leader, calls out Moses, and says, "Watch, I'm going to show you a better way to live." And he calls them out of Egypt and he leads them into the wilderness. And we all know. That doesn't do too well for them either. Are you recognizing the pattern here? Yeah. Called into divine partnership to flourish only to miss terms of partnership and not experience the freedom we're being called to. But Moses did pretty well. Not perfect, but he did all right. And so he leads the people to the promised land, but not into it. And Moses, at the end of his story, dies. And a new leader arrives. His name, Joshua. And this is, a, again, really a wholesome way to start the year. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... And don't go to the next slide too quickly for me, Henry. We'll just chill on this one for a sec. Yeah. Thanks, brother. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Now, before we move to the next one, because I think there's something important here just to catch. And this is almost like a little sidebar here. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it would seem in our own lives that when someone like a Moses or something like a Moses passes away or moves on, things are all bad. Moses was a leader who they could look to. Life had been predictable under Moses. They had been in the wilderness, but Moses always knew to go to God and see what God wanted from them so they would be fed, so they would be watered, so that they would have fire during the night and cloud to keep them cool during the day. The story of Moses and the people is ridiculous. It's incredible. But then Moses died. How do you think the people were feeling at this point? I think we can relate to this feeling to some extent. When something that has been able for us, something has been there that we could rely on, something that would always supply for us, something that we could depend upon in those days that are tough, and then it's taken from us, how do we move forward at that point? Well, it's a temptation to think that it's all bad. And first of all, sometimes it is just all bad. And there's a lesson in that too. But it doesn't mean that God is not making room for something new. Maybe even something greater. Maybe something that's going to grow you and stretch you and push you to a place you didn't even know you could get to. To do things you didn't even know you were capable of. So the people of Israel are there and they're just about to escape the wilderness. Then Moses dies. And Moses' aide says to the people, Moses, we can go to the next one, thanks, Henry. My servant is dead. Thanks for doubling down on that, Joshua. Everything predictable in our lives is like having 
our own personal Moses to some extent. But this is the time and the place that we must realize that our hope as followers of Jesus, we can go to this slide, Henry, because it's a mouthful. Our hope has never been in things never changing, but in a God who never changes. So no matter how unpredictable 2024 is looking, the Christian story doesn't offer a predictability that everything will go to plan. But it does offer a hope in a God who never changes, despite how the things around you might change. So, what do the people do next? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land. I think I made a typo, into them land. Oh, sorry, can you find it, man? Sorry, I think I skipped a slide, Henry. <laughs> Maybe a couple. Into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses would. And so despite the thing that they could depend upon, the Moses of their generation passing away, being taken from them, God's promise stays for the people. He's going to carry it through. Because that's what he does. So a question for you to consider at the beginning of 2024, in light of the fact that our hope has never been in things never changing, but in God who never changes. How would you live if you really believed that God was for you? How would you set up your 2024 if you really believed that God is for you. That your hope doesn't have to be in things panning out the way you're planning, but that your hope can be in God who gave his one and only son for you so that you could have life and life to the full. Never changing, despite what happens this year. How would you live if you really believed that God was for you. There's a remarkable moment a few years ago where some Christians had to walk through this question in a really dramatic fashion. At the beginning of the pandemic, there was a Zoom call organized for pastors to log on and discuss how they were approaching it and how their cities were responding to the pandemic. And it was this idea to get globally a, a community of pastors talking so that things that were working in some countries or not working in some countries might be shared with others. It was a really interesting time of ideas and creativity and innovation and we're still living in it to some extent, the, the follow-up from that. And this happened in every industry and probably happened in your workplace too, where you looked at how different places in Australia even, um, were responding to this. And it was a remarkable moment on a Zoom call with this global community of pastors 
when they interviewed a pastor who was in China, and not just in China, but in Wuhan, in the very place where the whole thing had begun. You can imagine things were a little bit heated there for that church community. And when things had begun to go crazy, people had responded how many of us responded. They responded with, oh my gosh, what do we do? They started to panic. They started to fear. They started to go, are we ever going to see normal again? How do we do life this way? How are we going to get through this? How are we going to stay healthy? How am I going to feed my family? How am I supposed to do my job if I can't go do it? And they started to panic. And the Christian community in Wuhan, of which there is an enormous one, it is, it's a really large community, responded the same way. And the pastors did too. They panicked. We can't get together on Sundays? How do we? We can't. Get, what do we do? How are we going to? Like many of us did. And this pastor shared something that is unforgettable for me, and I'm sure it'll stick in your mind as well. I'm quite confident it'll stick in your mind as well. Where he said, there was a moment during all of this frenetic activity and panic where we met as pastors, the pastors in Wuhan got together, and they, and they looked at each other and they said, what are we doing? Clearly we've put too much hope in the circumstances of our lives. As soon as they've been removed, we've panicked. We've started to say, help us! And this is, this is how he phrased it. And as soon as we realized that we as pastors and as churches had started to say, help us, we realized we were doing it wrong. And so we changed it from help us to how can we help. And the moment we shifted from help us to how can we help, we realized we were walking in the way of Jesus. And all of a sudden, the churches and the pastors began to look a little bit different to the way the rest of the city was responding. And they started to be able to make a difference and to experience hope and joy and peace in their partnership with God in a way that caught attention in their city. Did it make the circumstances around them immediately resolve? Well, I think you know how that story went. As soon as the question changed from help us to how can we help, they knew they were partnering with the Spirit. So what does Joshua do? What does Joshua do in the face of leading these people into their promised land despite the loss of Moses? Well, he says to them, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate. Anyone use that word so far in 2024? <laughs> Great word. Use it all the time. Boom, shout out over there. <laughs> Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. And here's the reality of that sentence. We love the God will do amazing things part. That part's nice, lovely. We, we like that part. But we don't always love the consecrate yourselves part. Because doing the work, preparing ourselves for the day of battle. This is the same tension that that proverb speaks to. God was going to come through and deliver them into the promised land. God had promised those churches in Wuhan the very same promises He's promised you. Life, life to the full, life eternal with Him. Peace that passes all understanding. 
But when you fix your eyes on the circumstances, that's difficult. But when you fix yourself and your focus on God and who He is and how He's calling you to live, that changes the tune. But we don't like that part. We don't like accountability. We don't like having to change the way we're living. We don't like having to change the habits and the routines of our weeks and our lives. This, this is the hard part. God will do amazing. Prepare yourselves for the day of battle. But God's calling us to a partnership, not just to be spoon-fed for our whole life. So are we willing to do the work to consecrate ourselves? I'm going to quote a politician at my own risk. But it's fair game, because this politician is not from our time. And I think regardless of who you vote for, not that it matters in this scenario, you'll appreciate the sentiment behind these words. Sir Winston Churchill is a memorable leader. In the face of the tyranny of Nazism, this man had to lead his country. And we'd all have different memories of him and how he did that. But he's on the record with this remarkable passage of writing, which he scribed for us. He said, To each there comes in their lifetime a special moment when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing. Unique to them and fitted to their talent. This next line will haunt me forever. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified for that which could have been their finest hour. We see it in ancient Israel with the people of God and Joshua. Consecrate yourselves. We see it in recent years. During global conflicts, during global pandemics. God is calling us to a remarkable partnership. But it's a partnership. as he did in the garden, asking the original two to be a part of that work, to work the ground, to be fruitful. As he did with the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament. Here is the way you should live. Follow me, and it will go well with you. As he is now in the church today, calling us to prepare ourselves as a bride, blameless, pure, for his return partnership has stood all this time, regardless of whether we've hold, held sorry, our end of the bargain or not. May we, as a church, be found prepared. May we consecrate ourselves, that we might be found prepared for potentially our finest of hours. Would you in your life this year, 
Prepare yourself for whatever it is God's got for you. Now we look at the life and the teachings of Jesus a lot, and you know we're trying to follow in His way, so that makes sense. But we have this remarkable, small—or I should say, remarkably small. I need to start looking at the thesaurus. I think I've said remarkable too many times this morning. I apologize for that. We have a very small amount about the way Jesus grew up. We've just come out of the Christmas season where we looked at Jesus' arrival. We spoke on Christmas Eve about the fact that it was quite a memorable arrival. But we only have a small amount about what happened between the time he arrived and the time he started his ministry. And then we have a lot more. But there is this small part of writing in the Gospel of Luke recorded for us by a man who did the work of interviewing dozens and dozens of eyewitnesses to find out exactly what had happened whilst Jesus was walking the earth. And he describes Jesus' childhood, and we think he's probably describing a time around where Jesus was 12, which is interesting insight. And he puts it this way, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with both God and man. You can put it this way. It seems that God cares about our personal growth, about your personal growth. Right throughout the biblical narrative, we see him using preparation seasons. With the person of Jesus himself, with God incarnate, we see a preparation season. And it could be a preparation season in between seasons. It could be an extension of preparation and learning you'd already done. It could be stepping into Bible college, you know. Bible college, sorry man, I'll speak up for you. But it seems that God cares about our personal growth. And there's three things there that I think we can practically start to think about. So you can, if you are interested in taking notes, perhaps this is the the three things to take away from today as far as something you might be able to action this week. There are three things we see Jesus growing in in this recording from Luke. First of all, wisdom. Jesus is found to be growing in wisdom. Now, there's a whole set of sermons we should probably do on wisdom, and when I work out what they're about, we'll do them later this year. But to begin with, some very basic principles that will help with this, I'm quite certain. The first of that is read. <laughs> read. There's a great saying that says, you can learn everything you need to know about the world by reading, and you can learn everything you need to know about yourself by running. So I do both. <laughs> this begins with the Bible. Do you have a plan to read the Bible this year? It could be a verse a day. There's a thing going on right now called a 30-day shred, where you read the entire Bible in 30 days in January. It's an organization called Theosu that coaches people. You can do it at any time of year, but they particularly put it on for January. You can jump on the version app and pick a Bible in a year plan, a Bible in a two-year plan, a Bible in a three-year plan. Yes, they all exist. Test me. Do you have a plan to be in Scripture, familiarizing yourself with who God is and what He's done throughout history? This involves reading more than just TikTok captions and entertainment magazines, though. We must read widely to gain wisdom. 
And second of all, we must be around people who are further along than us. And this is not just in life or in years. This is in circumstances and experiences. And this is why we prioritize home gatherings. Sitting in rows, listening to me talk is only going to get us so far. Much better if we sit in circles and we get to know one another's story. We journey together and we talk to one another. We talk to people who have walked through the things we've walked through. And gain wisdom that way. That's the first. Do you have a plan for growing in wisdom this year? Second of all, do you have a plan for growing in stature this year? Not just the gym. That's good too. <laughs> stature refers to capacity. Are you stretching yourself? Are you going to be able to take on more than you were able to take on last year? This practically could look like, are the things that used to stress me last year now things that I just get done this year? Are you growing in stature? And finally, favor. This is an interesting one. And your fancy Bible dictionaries will define the word like this in the context from which we're reading it. Favor is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Are you spending time allowing the divine to influence you, to have a say in your inside world, that it might begin to change your outside world? Prayer is a great place to grow in favor hearing from God. But the big one, I'm going to argue the best one, come and challenge me afterwards if you think I'm wrong. The best way to grow in this is to repent. To turn away from sin. To turn away from the things that are holding us back. The things that last year Hold your name after 10 p.m. The things that last year caused your relationships with your parents, siblings, children, colleagues, friends to feel a little strained at times. To turn from these things, I would argue, is perhaps the greatest way to grow in favor. How do you do this? It's not easy. You ready? Confess. Do you have people in your life who you are walking alongside who you can share what's not going well with? That you can confess these things. Say them out loud. Name them so you can tame them, if you will. It's an ancient, ancient practice. A difficult one, but a powerful one. Would you be willing to grow in wisdom through reading by spending time with people larger than you? Would you be willing to grow in stature to increase your capacity to keep doing hard things? Would you be willing to have a plan to grow in favor to turn from the sin that ensnares us? Two questions we'll consider next week in home gatherings. Do you have a plan for your own growth this year? How would you live in 2024 if you knew that God was for you? Wisdom is 
stature. There you go. Can I pray for us? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, I'm conscious in a room like this that there are stories aplenty from just one calendar year. That there are plans aplenty in this calendar year coming. That Father, regardless of what those are, the promise of a relationship and a partnership with a divine who is always good, who always has a plan for us, is good news. More than that, a God who has given his son that we are forgiven no matter what we have done, welcomed home like lost sons and daughters. That is good news, regardless of how our plans are going and what our plans look like moving forward. So Jesus, I ask that you instill a confidence and a belief in that this year for those of us who are following you. Now, with eyes still closed and heads still bowed for a moment, I just want to give a chance for people to do something tangible to commit to partnering in this. So with eyes closed, just me looking, between you and God, do you want to commit to consecrating yourself for 2024? This might be a recommitment that you were following in the way he had called you to live really well once upon a time, but things slipped. 2023. No better time than the beginning of the new year to recommit. Or for you, maybe this is a first decision. A decision you've pondered, a decision you've heard about, but today you feel like there's something inside of you that's making you uncomfortable in a way that you just have to commit to it for 2024. If that's you, in either of those stories, with every other eye closed, I would love you to just wave at me. Thank you, I got that hand. 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 Thank you so much. Yeah, I got that hand. If you would like to re-consecrate yourself or consecrate yourself in 2024 to a partnership with God. Jesus, I thank you for each one of these commitments. I pray your Holy Spirit fill them now in Jesus' name. I pray that you would surround them with people who are going to walk the journey with them, reveal to them, even bring faces and names to mind in this moment of people who they can begin to share with vulnerably. Father, if a next step is to step into a home gathering here at Impact Church, if it's just to share with a loved one, Father, if it's just a one-on-one -on -one encounter with you praying in a bedroom, whatever it is, I pray, Lord, cement it in our hearts. Help us to commit ourselves again in 2024. And I pray all of this in your mighty name. And all who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for this week's message. We hope it was helpful to you and practical for your life. Ultimately, we pray that this inspired you to consider taking a next step in your relationship with Jesus, whatever that may look like for you. If that's something you would like to do, we would encourage you to get in touch with us via the details in the podcast description. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.